Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman, and I'm here today with the other co-host, Brendan McCullough, and we have a special guest today, a freelancer for IGN, Kier Harris. How are you doing, Kier? Oh, I'm not doing too bad. You, I'm doing considerably better now that you pronounced my name correctly. This time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to tell the listeners about how I constantly fuck up, but... <laughs> but um, I think even in some of the early episodes, you've gotten my name wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I've probably got my own name wrong, so there's that, too. But, uh, yeah, I guess... So, how did you get involved with uh, freelancing for IGN and, and everything? Well, um, it's impossible to tell that story without bringing up Cracked.com in the first place. Because oh, sure. That's, that's where I really got started freelancing anywhere. And they've got this really cool system there where anybody can pitch freelance articles to them and the editors go through. It's like a back-end section of the site that you have to specifically request access to. But oh. uh, and anybody can get it. It just kind of weeds out the people that are going to just go in there and spam troll bullshit. If they have to go yeah. through one extra step, it's kind of just like a filter that gets rid of some of those people. But um, you go in there and you can pitch articles to them, and once a week the editors will go through and personally give specific feedback to every pitch, which nowhere does. Like that, that was what immediately attracted me to them, because um, if you've never done freelance writing before, but you're really interested in it, it's hard to figure out what you're doing wrong. Because if you send if you send just a, a pitch to any typical place. You'll wait and you'll wait and you'll wait, and like a month later, you'll probably get a form rejection notice that doesn't critique anything or tell you what you did wrong. So Cracked was really cool because it was essentially going to writing school while I was writing there freelance. And after I did that for a while, um, they started to notice that I was being really helpful to other people in the workshop and not just working on my own stuff, but like going into other people's pitches and giving them feedback on, oh, this is kind of cool, but uh, the editors would probably like it if you also did this. And that made the editor's job easier. So when they started to do the workshop moderator program, which is effectively just freelance writers that have been there for a while who go through the quote-unquote slush pile and like select the things that are ready for the editors to look at and just give the standard feedback that the editors would have to give themselves to pitches that like clearly have something wrong with them and they're not going to work. So we would go through and try to help form an acceptable article out of those pitches, or at least if there was nothing salvageable, get them to pitch something more appropriate the next time, just to, to help them figure out what Cracked was looking for. I did that for a while, and I was still writing articles for them at the same time. And then one of the editors comes to me and talks to me about this personal experience program that they're working with. And um, basically, he had the idea to interview different people with crazy professions and stuff like that and write cracked articles based on those. And he asked if I'd be interested in doing some of those interviews, which I was like, of course, sure. And I, I did that for a really long time, and when I, I say a really long time, but it was really like two years. <laughs> but um, I did that for a while, and then I, I just started to get more comfortable and confident in my own writing ability. I pitched some stuff to listverse.com, which isn't as big of a website, but I mean, it was it was just a way to get paid doing freelancing and stuff like that, and I... I started editing for them for a while. And after I was really comfortable with my own writing ability, I was like, you know, what I would really like to write about is video games. And it's really funny how I approached IGN because they're like kind of the biggest thing in video game news anywhere. And I, <laughs> I did, I did a little research on them and I sent an email to one of the co-founders of IGN just on a fucking whim and expecting absolutely nothing. And it was just like, Hey, here's some of the writing I've done before. I'd be really interested in doing some writing for you guys if you have anything open. And about three days later, the guy emails me back. Nice. And he's like, 
Oh yeah, we, we have a couple positions open and I put in your contact info with the editor that's in charge of freelance feature articles, so he'll be getting back to you. And it, it just went from there. That's amazing. Oh man, wow. that's what I mean. It's all about taking risks and just, that's honestly how this podcast started. That's how, how we got half of our guests on the show, like big name guests. It's just, all you have to do is ask people. And especially when it's like free publicity, most people aren't going to turn that down. So, and mm-hmm. in your case though, it's just like you had to just go out that extra mile and just get in touch with the right person. And it really worked out for you. So that's fucking amazing. Good shit. Yeah. And I mean, if anybody were to ask me what the biggest thing that you could do to be successful in a creative field like that is, it's to just not be afraid of failure and just go out there and try whatever it is you want to do. Because 90% of people and me every time before this particular time are, they're going to just be so afraid of never hearing back or they're going to have that voice in the back of their head going, I bet he's going to email me back and ask me what the fuck is wrong with me and why I would <laughs> send this kind of email in the first place. And they get so scared and tied up in their own personal neurosis that they just never bother. Yeah, because honestly, that would never realistically happen. But you you, you convince yourself into believing those terrible things or, or ideas. It is just a matter of taking risks. And if it's like, if you don't even try, you'll never know. So, and it's just as far as when it comes to just throwing an email somebody's way, why not? Right. Yeah. The only way to get a 100% guarantee is to not try at all. And then you have a 100% <laughs> guarantee that you're not going to succeed. Exactly. I think that's a phenomenal advice for people that are trying to do something different and maybe uh, get a better career. Yeah. There's always got to be that first step of, the gamble of you know risking something because if you're not risking something it's not worth you know yeah if if you're not willing to go out on a limb and risk something to obtain the destination that you want to reach then you should probably do some introspection and figure out if it's really something that you care about reaching that much in the first place exactly and so your passion is gaming as is ours um what what are some of your favorite games and like like what's your background as far as that goes well, my absolute favorite game of all time, and this is why this E3 was so exciting for me, is Final Fantasy VII. Oh, nice, man. Great. So, like, I, I just freaked out when they announced that that remake was going to happen. Because, I mean, that's... I, I had played a bunch of games before that. Like, I'd gotten really into the original Super Mario Brothers and stuff like that. I, I had... Uh, I had a regular Nintendo NES system in my house, and I had a was it the yeah it was the Sega Genesis, and um, I played a bunch of those games. But whenever the PlayStation came out, and I finally got around to getting it because at that age you kind of have to just beg your parents to get it for you until they cave and get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> The, the first game that I got for it was Final Fantasy VII, and I had never played a true RPG like that before, and it was the first game that like really engaged me on an emotional level, and it was the first game that made me go, oh, wow, game, games can do this. Games can be this. Yeah, that's an amazing feeling. <laughs> and I'm wondering with the remake now, if young kids will be playing the remade version, never playing the first one. And they'll have the same experience. So then in 18 years from now, they'll remake the remake. And it's just going to be this like <laughs> cyclical thing. It just keeps happening every so many years. Well, you that's know, what I, I mean. I'm sorry. Oh, go go, no, it's, all I wanted to say is uh, you're a true Final Fantasy fan. Do you have any concerns for the remake? Because I feel like uh, there are some, but I don't, I'm not like, I've, I've played the game, but not in its entirety. So I know that's a mortal sin as a gamer, but <laughs> I have played many other Final Fantasies, like, front to end, but that is one I have to revisit. Um, my biggest concern is that having played the original and experienced it the way that I did and having that deep emotional connection to it, I'm afraid I'm not going to get as much out of this one just because I've already had the first experience. Yeah, I hear what you mean. It's like, hmm, that's interesting. Because I, I know it's going to be amazing. Like, it's, it's going to be good. I just, I, I don't want to sit there the whole time while I'm playing it and compare it to the old one and be like, oh, well, this fucking scene's not in here. Oh my god, Square, what are you doing? This is terrible. And it, 
I kind of have to reel back and be like, okay, there are things that they put in the original Final Fantasy VII that just don't work anymore because the technology has gotten better. There, uh, there's a ton of scenes that would just look ridiculous rendered in that beautiful HD resolution. That we saw. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, some of those scenes were really funny moments, but it, they would just be out of place and absurd if you tried. Like, there's a scene when they're taking a uh, a ship from one continent to the other, and they all have to disguise themselves as sailors so that they can slip by unnoticed. And Red 13, who is a wolf <laughs> creature, stands on two legs and puts on a sailor suit, and he kind of wobbles around and pretends that he's seasick, and that's why he can't walk right. But oh like, God. Yeah. That, that is would, hilarious. That would be so ridiculous looking in this HD super high-definition remake. Like, I, I can't see how they can do that. But it was such a great moment in the first game. Oh, that's a perfect example of what I was considering as a concern for, like, someone who's already experienced it. That's interesting. I wonder... Yeah, now I'm just eager to play it myself and see how they pull that off. And, I mean, I I know a lot of people were complaining about how... Uh, because the Final Fantasy genre... Or genre see, I'm calling it a genre now. <laughs> it so kind of is. But the, the Final Fantasy franchise is sort of getting away from the turn-based combat, and Final Fantasy VII was very, very, very turn-based. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of people are worried that it's going to kind of go the route of like the combat system in Final Fantasy XIII. I don't necessarily think that would be a terrible thing. The worst thing they could possibly do, and the only thing that would make me hate the game out of the gate, is if they removed the Materia system entirely, because that's what made that game so fun. Oh yeah, that's the core of Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy literally runs on materia. <laughs> yeah. But I think this goes with the whole remake, I guess, wave that's been happening of them remaking movies and TV shows and literally everything. And to a certain point, it's kind of like a remake of the general idea that was the original concept. But, like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, uh... Gene Wilder was by far the best Willy Wonka and no one would be able to top him because so much was improvised and so much was just him. Mm-hmm. But the I did enjoy the remake with Johnny Depp. It went a different way. It still had the same idea. It still had the same source material, but it chose to go a different way. And I don't think it deserves as much shit as people give it, but I'm not saying it's better than the Gene Wilder original one. So I'm curious to see if Final Fantasy VII's uh, remake is going to be like that. Or if because people are so passionate about it, it's just going to be condemned like from the get-go right. once something what, is What wrong. you're talking about right now is one of the biggest gripes that I have with remakes in general. Like, people find it impossible to just like kind of step back and examine it as its own independent thing. They want to keep comparing it to the original version. And I understand that you can't totally get away from that, but at the same time, like... You you can't you can't take it like it has to be the exact same thing because why are you doing a remake in the first place if everything's going to be exactly the same? Yeah, exactly. Good point. I never understood that. Like, what was it? They remade the movie Psycho with Vince Vaughn, and it was shot for shot exact same, just with different actors. It's like, well, what's the point? Right. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, it's. One of the many reasons I do not like Vince Vaughn. Also because he's a terrible actor. But um, with the turn-based strategy in Final Fantasy in particular, I remember Kingdom Hearts was still in the same grouping of Final Fantasy, but it went its own way. It didn't do turn-based. But the first real game I noticed that wasn't doing that anymore was Final Fantasy XII, which a friend let me borrow. Mm-hmm. And I'll be fa- I'll be honest, I didn't give that game any chance really like i played it for maybe two or three hours and i just didn't like where it was going i think some of the graphics on the main character van was the worst in the game like it was very flat compared to all the other characters seemed very fleshed out and i just i couldn't get behind the combat too that really bothered me what was the main difference in the combat i played briefly but i just don't even remember because i too didn't get into it it was it was kind of almost like Monster Hunter-esque, where like, I just remember there was this gigantic T-Rex thing in the middle of a desert that you weren't supposed to fight, you were supposed to just run from. But I think smaller enemies bounced me into them and I couldn't get away. And it was just like, you had to run up to them, like, lock on, 
but like the auto lock, auto targeting system kept switching like right as I attacked because the camera would move. I remember there was just something about it that just it was wasn't as complete as it should be, and it really just made it so much harder to play the game. But then again, I say I I didn't really give it enough of a chance, so that might have been me being uh, you know pissy because it was new and different. Yeah, I I really did like. And enjoy the old school turn-based style of just RPGs in general, like Legend of Dragoon and all the old Final Fantasies. But then again, like the way games are, like this, the direction it's headed, I I prefer more of a combat system similar to Kingdom Hearts, just because of how free it is and fast-paced, and like it it just feels more natural. Legend of Dragoon was such a fantastic game. <laughs> Yeah, Final Fantasy XII seems like a mix between, like, they were trying to do turn-based, but also the freestyle of Kingdom Hearts, and it just, it didn't work, it wasn't a good blend. See, also, I think you have to go one or the other, like... Yeah. 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 Also in twelve. This, this may make me a terrible video game fan, but I've never played Final Fantasy XII. That series kind of lost me with Final Fantasy X too, and then I kind of got back into it a little bit for thirteen because everybody was raving about it. But I, exactly, I kind of just like when ten two came out and it was not very good. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, oh man, ten ten is my second favorite in the entire genre after seven, and I was just like, ah uh, no. No, I can't. I can't support this anymore. This is horrible. What are you doing to my beloved game franchise? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know many people who. I don't know many people who actually have played twelve. It's kind of overlooked, as far as I know. Which maybe there's a reason to it. <laughs> but I knew one of my biggest flaws right off the bat was. I remember like Final Fantasy Nine was the first one I played, and it was just full of these different species and races that you could play as. You had like Freya and Queena and. Eco and Vivi and just they were different. They all weren't human. And then in Final Fantasy XII, as far as I know, the only character in your party that wasn't human was Fran, who was essentially a playmate, like a Playboy bunny. Like it was like a essential supermodel esque. And then she just had rabbit ears, buck teeth, and a rabbit tail. That's it. Like that's the only thing that made her not human. Why? She's like, man, this. I don't know. It just lost me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it could have been worse. They could have been like. Kate says. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> See that that's another thing. I played um Dirge of Cerberus, the Final Fantasy Seven like spinoff about Vincent Valentine, before I played seven. So I'm playing it and like he pops up, I'm just like, why is there a cat talking to me right now? Like, How could you have possibly understood anything that was going oh, on? I, I didn't at all. It made no sense. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. It was fun. It it was a really fun game, which like I, I was so surprised because it's so different from the typical gameplay of a Final Fantasy game. Like I was very concerned when I bought it because it looked awesome and I wanted it to be awesome, but I had this nagging voice in the back of my head going, this is going to be terrible. There's no way they could do this well. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it kind of had the same like free range, you know, you could run around and just lock on the targets like Kingdom Hearts, but instead of a Keyblade, you had a gun. And then like three different versions of that gun. Mm -hmm. So it had like a Devil May Cry kind of feel, right? Yeah, it was essentially like Devil May Cry meets Final Fantasy because it was Vincent Valentine who's the most Devil May Cry emo-y sort of character. <laughs> yeah, I remember when that came out. Yeah, I saw gameplay, I never played it, but it did seem interesting. But yeah, that's the thing. I didn't play it because I knew the story would fuck me up because like, oh, I never played 7 in its entirety. Yeah. What What is with every... How old are you? I have to ask. 25. 24. Oh, oh my god, you're you're a year older than me and you haven't played five. You have no excuse. <laughs> I know, dude. No, I know. I That's why I was trying to say, like, it's a mortal sin in, in my... Like, I, I know Alex Coria hasn't played it, but he's 20, so he has an excuse. It was kind of a little before <laughs> his time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But And I have it downloaded. It's just like, God, I just need to do it. Fuck. You really do. You really <laughs> Maybe do I should wait for the game. remake, though. What do you think? Do Should I wait for the remake, or do I play the the classic? I feel like if you do it in the opposite order, because I'm going to give them some credit here. I think the remake's going to be amazing. Even if I can't get into it as much because I played the original, I really do feel like they're going to do a good job with the remake. And I feel like if you play the remake first, it's going to be so great 
that if you go back and play the original, you're going to be like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of had that problem because I got it for the PC. They um, were able to port it onto the PC, I think, mm-hmm. three years ago or so. And I played that. And since I didn't play it as a kid and I didn't play it in the prime when everyone was so obsessed with it, like I, I was playing I was like, I can see why everyone likes it. But because I'm playing it in a later date where like games have advanced so much so quickly, there's part of it I just can't get fully into. Well, so I did enjoy it very much. I wonder about like I, I wonder how good Final Fantasy VII is, and how much of it is just I I came to it at that time in my life when I didn't know what games like that even were, and I was like ten or twelve years old. What's good to a 10 or 12 year old is very different from what's good to a Dalkier now. So I, I don't know if when I look back, I see the flaws in it because of how far gaming has come since then, or because I'm just growing up and I'm not the same person that I was back then. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think it mainly comes into play with um, the story, because I know the story was spoiled for me years ahead of time. Like everyone talks about how. You know, one of the big scenes. I won't spoil it now in case anyone hasn't. Oh come on! This no, game okay. has been out for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, Eris right. dies. All right. Yeah, when when Eris dies and all this stuff with Sephiroth, and I was like, I got it, but I was still surprised by some of the like smaller stuff, like the whole storyline with Zack. Like I didn't know that, even though the game's been out for years. Mm-hmm. So I think mainly the story fell a little shorter. Um, the out of combat graphics definitely aren't that great. They're very polygony triangle bodies. Um, but that was just limitation. If you you know understand that, you realize they're not going to have amazing graphics back then. Um, it still holds up, I think, the gameplay at least. Mm-hmm. All right, and I thought of my excuse. So the reason <laughs> I wasn't playing Final Fantasy VII back then is because I was playing The Legend of Dragoon like at the same like kind of same time frame. And I it's like at that point in my life as a kid, it's like. Do I invest like all my hours into this game or into this game? And when they're like four discs long, it's like, all right, you have to pick one. And I picked The Legend of Dragoon. And I'm actually really glad I did because that game's fucking incredible. Like to this day, I can go back. I don't even care how polygony the graphics are. It's just like the story and everything, the nostalgia. It's a fucking wonderful RPG. To be fair, you couldn't have picked a better game to play instead of Final Fantasy VII. Okay, that's good to hear. Like, you apart from Eris' death, I don't think I've been sadder over any death in oh, a video God. game Lavitz. than I was about... Yeah. Oh, God, Lavitz kills me to this day because, like, and the worst thing about it was Prince Albert replacing him was the worst. Like, I couldn't deal with him. Like, A, you're stealing his moves, and you're, like, not <laughs> as cool of a character. Like, I hate this. Ugh. I felt the same way. Oh, I'm so glad. Most people don't. Everyone I've talked to is like, oh, I actually preferred Albert. I'm like, are you fucking... Dude, Lavitz, we broke out of fucking Helena prison together. Lavitz was so much cooler. Yeah, he really was. And, like, just the his people loved him. Like, he was the shit. So, whatever. I'm over it. Oh, uh, Brendan also reminded me of another big concern that I have about the remake, and that's that I'm scared that they might actually put in a way to revive Aerith and... Yeah, because they have said the story's changing. Right, the reason that bothers me so much is that the reason that I emotionally connected with the game so much and the reason that I, as a player, had a personal vendetta against Sephiroth is because, like, he's he's just kind of... the The game presents him as, oh, Sephiroth is this bad guy and we have to stop him, but it doesn't really get personal until he kills the character that you care about more than almost every other character in the game. And the game kind of sets it up that way. It makes it makes you care about her a lot. It goes out of its way to do that, and then it makes the bad guy murder her right in front of you. And I don't think I would have connected or hated the main villain of the game as much as I do if I could have just undid him murdering her. Oh, I hear that. Um, It's... Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I think we just lost Bren. <laughs> so I just heard that noise and I'm like, uh, let me, let me give him a text. But regardless, yeah, no, I hear you because that I've, I felt that way about Lavitz specifically because, well, it wasn't more or less, uh, they were building it up like, oh, he's, I didn't see it coming as far as, whereas I feel like you could have necessarily potentially seen it coming with Eris. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, there was a bit of foreshadowing, yeah. Okay. It's, 
it's kind of like prophetic. I've got a bad feeling about this sort of stuff, though. Like, it, it was along the lines of she, she felt that her journey was coming to its culmination and she was saying really cryptic stuff like that. And it, like, you could have, you, I suppose you could have figured out that she was about to die, but I didn't at the time. Um, anybody who plays it today is already going to know that. So, I mean, I, I think hindsight is twenty twenty, and they put all of those clues there, but I wasn't smart enough at 12 years old to piece it together myself. Sure. Yeah. I feel like it's, so you're one year younger than me. Yeah. We were experiencing this stuff around the same age then, but I definitely, I'm, I'm eager to try. I think I'm going to play the classic Final Fantasy VII and then the remake. I think at least it gives me time to play it up until then. So we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend playing the classic one first. Definitely okay. put it in that order. Will do. Um, well, let's talk a little more about like your writing career. Um, what have what have been some of your favorite articles you've written about? Like, I guess uh, topics and or like video games specifically, or stuff like that? Um, the, the first one's not video game specific, but it is pop culture oriented. I, I wrote an article uh, for Cracked about two years ago with a buddy of mine named uh, J.F. Sargent. He's an editor over, an editor and a columnist over there now. But um, okay. we, wrote, we wrote an article together because we had both been uh, binge-watching Star, Star Trek at the same time. And we were both like on the back end of the site talking to one another about Star Trek and what we liked, what we didn't like, all that sort of stuff. And in these conversations, uh, things would come out like, well, this actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would they do this? For example, um, the transporters, whenever the only way on and off the ship, except for like, these really inconvenient shuttle pods that can only ferry like four people at a time is the transporter. So this thing breaks, breaks you down at the molecular level, shoots you into space onto the ship and rematerializes you at your location. And it's actually a bunch of major plot points along the way in the story about how that goes wrong. Like in Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, they have trouble rematerializing on the Enterprise, and they wind up rematerializing with some of their organs on the outside. And Ooh. So, ugh. But, like, if you look at the entire library of Star Trek episodes, these incidents are... They happen frequently enough that you probably wouldn't want to make it the only way on and off of your ship. Oh, absolutely. It's like, you think you'd learn... <laughs> Especially with like a a failure rate of that, like even anything above like ten percent, it'd be like, well, no thanks, I'm not getting it. I'm not gonna right. get zapped. And it's something that like w- even with the crazy amount of technology that they have, they still don't quite understand every intricacy of it. Like um, yeah, there, there's one episode in Star Trek: The Next Generation where uh, there's a, a lightning storm while Riker is beaming back onto the ship and Riker beams back onto the ship, but it leaves an evil clone of Riker on the planet. What? Now that's really, yeah, it's like, there's some crazy stuff that happens with the transporter. But so we wrote an entire article about observations like that. And we called it, I forget what the number was, but it was insert number here, horrifying implications of the star Trek universe. Oh, nice. But that, that one was super fun to write. Cause I, I didn't get to, most of the articles that I had written for Craft at the time were kind of science-based and like, these crazy animals are out there. Can you believe it? There's a squid that flies through the air, and that's actually a thing that exists. I didn't make that up off the top of my head. but Oh my god, I, th- I thought you were just like, no. a- anecdotally. I know, I, I, re- <laughs> I realized after I said that how that sounded. <laughs> but no, it's, that's it's amazing. Like a, it's like, you know how flying fish will jump out of the water and then they like spread their fins out and they can glide for a certain distance? Yeah. There are squids that have like the arrow thing on the end of their head. It's kind of shaped like those fins that the flying fish have. And they propel themselves out of the water with a jet of water. They actually use jet propulsion. And then once they're up in the air, they use that fin to glide and they can go for like a hundred yards. That is really impressive. And I'm glad you like made me learn something today. 
<laughs> but yeah, um, so I was really into the like science articles over at Cracked because I love learning cool, interesting shit about the world like that. Hell yeah. And then every now and then I would have a pop culture article get thrown in. And then what was really fun was like the personal experience articles that would like shake the core foundation of what I believed about the world. Because one of the questions that we ask everybody that we interview over there is, what about your job would people be surprised to learn based on how your job appears in movies or on television? Because you would be surprised how much of what you know about the world is actually learned from fiction. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the best example I can give off the top of my head would be... Oh, wow. Am I drawing a blank right now? This is awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Don't worry, dude. I feel like this happens to me every single episode. Okay, so. I, I actually I actually do have an example. Um, okay. So it's a really big danger in action movies. Uh, if you drop a gun on the floor, it's going to go off and it's going to accidentally shoot someone. This is a tried and true trope in any action movie, right? Yeah. Guns don't do that. I didn't think so. I really... I actually... Almost in the back of my mind, anytime I would see that in a movie, I would like call it out. I'm like, I don't think that would actually happen. It turns out it's a really big liability issue for a gun manufacturer if you drop their product and accidentally shoot someone because of it. <laughs> exactly. And also, I mean, even safeties aside, I think it just requires the trigger physically being pulled. Like, And I don't know. It, I don't foresee that happening on just like a a clunking, like it just fell out of your pocket or something. Mm -hmm. But like so much of our lives are informed by just like seeing things like that in fiction and your brain just, if you see it enough times, your brain kind of just ab absent of your, your attempts to learn stuff will just file that away as something that's actually true. And it's not, it's not a process that you necessarily have conscious control over. You just, like, one day you're like, oh, no, 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 don't drop that. But you can't remember where you learned that information in the first place. You just know that at this stage in your life, all of a sudden you have this working knowledge in your head of, well, if I drop that gun on the floor, it's obviously going to go off. But you, you don't know where the origin point of that thought comes from. And 90% of the time is from some sort of movie or TV show. Definitely. That's interesting. Yeah, I never... I never put that together. And we're back with Bren. What's up, Bren? My power just blipped off. Like, it didn't even go out <laughs> just for a millisecond. So fast that the light on my PC tower still was on. Just my monitors and everything else shut off. But... Uh, oh, man. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, My main question is, did you lose your audio? No, I was able to recover it. I don't know how, but Audacity is able to recover projects when they just cut off. Okay, perfect. All right, I'm just glad you're back online. But, uh, so, let me fill you in on what you missed, Bren. Uh, I learned that there are flying squids. Uh, wait, like, in the sky or, like, flying in the higher levels of the ocean? Because I know in, there's, like, the caped squid. Or the no, these squid. are, like, massive, like, ones that fly in the sky. No, I'm kidding. But, oh. No, there's <laughs> the ones... They're 40 feet just... long, and they, just... <laughs> they eat no. children and carry them away in the middle of the night. <laughs> exactly. Kier was telling me that uh, there's these squid that basically have, they propel water out of themselves to shoot themselves up into the air, and then they have these kind of fins that they glide on. So I just can't believe, that's just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I think what I a world. I mean, there's, if you want, like, crazy borderline alien life, like, look at the ocean, because there's just weird stuff in there. Oh, yeah, we're still figuring that out. That's why we're trying to pollute it all on the coast of Jersey. Oh, god damn it. Just killing everything right. in sight. Well, we have to kill all of it so that it can't get to us. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of uh, locations, where are you tuning in from, Kier, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm currently in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, oh, PA, fellow PA. <laughs> oh, you're, you're in PA? Yes, we yeah. are. Uh, well, specifically, I'm closer to Reading. And where are you, Bren? I'm near Westchester. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I won't be in PA for too much longer. I'm moving to LA in like November or December with a couple of my friends that also write at Cracked. Oh, awesome, dude! Oh, that's wow. great. I I definitely have the desire to get out to the West Coast, but 
not the funds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll see whatever, if that happens later in life. But uh, congrats, though. Thanks. I'm curious, uh, since you are a freelancer, I know um, a lot of the, one of the big, I guess, drawbacks of being, you know, a job that goes from project to project and, you know, contract to contract is not like a stable job. People worry about that instability of like, oh, I don't know if I'll have this job, you know, 20 years down the road as, you know, someone who works in a big corporation. But I think now with the employment market, I don't think anyone has that stability they used to have anymore. And no, that's definitely true. I'm wondering if that makes it easier for you to, you know, go into a job knowing that it's, there's no concrete, there's no tenure in, you know, 30 years. Uh, there's no retirement plan that you'll just be working from project to project. Does it make it easier knowing that people are being laid off in these huge companies that, you know, thought they were safe or? Well, uh, make no mistake. The, the goal on the horizon is to get hired by a company as like a staff editor or like I'd really like to get a job uh, working at Super Creative, even if it's an internship. That would be awesome. Oh, totally, man. I think you're, you're on the right path, so but, keep up the good work. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, it's always a problem with freelancing because none of your, none of your paycheck is guaranteed. You only get paid based on your work output. And if you get into a creative funk and you're not producing as much, and sometimes that can happen and you don't have a lot of control over it when it does, then, I mean, like about half a year ago, I, I kind of got into a really creative slump. I had some depressing stuff going on in my life. And depression kind of eats away at the same part that is the creative part in your brain. Like... That, that has absolutely nothing to do with brain chemistry. That's just how I felt at the time. Um, but what I'm saying is uh, sometimes you have to kind of be willing to, you know, bite the bullet and go get a waiting job at a restaurant for a little while until you're capable of writing again. And, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with, like, if, if it was a stable editing job, for example – and I was required to write an article a week, and then I was editing articles for other people, which is kind of what people do that work at places like IGN or Cracked or something like that, where they're on staff and they go into work in an office. They're responsible for like an article a week and then editing a bunch of other articles that go up in the interim. That's something that's more sustainable in the long term because only 10% of your job is creating your own content. And that's the really hard thing to do. Editing is so easy compared to creating an idea from nothing. And so, I mean, that that's, that's kind of the end destination. I want to be in a job where, yes, I get to create my own stuff, and that's awesome. But I also get to do work that's not necessarily 100% creating something from nothing, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, not doing the grunt work necessarily, but focusing on the end result. Mm -hmm. If that, if that, I don't know if that makes sense. But, <laughs> but I mean, applicable. Okay. So take, take the super creative job, for example. Um, even like the, this is going to sound terrible, especially if Alex hears this because he's <laughs> Alex, I'm sorry. I don't mean it like this, but um, <laughs> no, uh, I'm just using that as an example because it's the first thing that comes to mind. But with, with that type of job, and I don't know 100% what goes on behind the scenes, but I know enough about what they do to take an educated guess. And sure. I mean, you're, you're creating your own stuff over there. Like they write skits for the attack and they do stuff like that. But a large part of the job is also post editing and setting up and tearing down sets and scheduling guests and, Stuff that's not necessarily pure creation, but it's kind of stuff that also needs to be done for the end product to be as good. Maintenance. Right. That stuff, while it's not as fun as the creation, it kind of keeps me sane, if that makes any sense. Well, it's sort of the repetitive, I don't want to say mundane, but a repetitive um, task that you know how to do it and how long it'll take. You know exactly everything about it. 
and you uh-huh. can just do it without really thinking. You kind of go into an autopilot mode, and it it there is a relaxing element to it. There is. Um, I remember as a kid playing with Legos, and I wouldn't build anything with it. Like I would just stack them up into a wall, and it would kind of be soothing because it's just this block goes here and that one goes there and then so on and so on and so and I don't have to think about like oh how do I turn this into a T-Rex or how would I make this into Hogwarts of Harry Potter it's just like no I'm just this goes here that goes there and I can zone out and just relax while not having my mind scattered in a thousand places of you know how am I going to do that or how am I going to do this mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I fully understand that. that yeah it, uh, oh go ahead I was going to say you, you just need a fine balance of like there's a certain degree of percentage of like how you can do, um, I guess, tedious ta- a repetitive task versus the creative, like the creative element. You can't be a hundred percent creative all the time, or else you will burn out instantly. Right. But exactly. You can't, be, you can't be like mundane and just doing repeating process all the time, or else your creative side will die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what keeps our podcast well balanced. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like I'm driving myself crazy. Like I do go into autopilot when I edit the podcast or like do the posts and all that stuff. But I think that's also I feel comfortable doing that. And it's like sort of like you're mastering your own craft and like you build this like routine. And I think that's actually something that's highly sought after in a environment like what Super Creative's doing. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean like taking my own podcast as an example, like. Oh, plug yourself quick. What's up? <laughs> oh, uh, so we can we can plug me at the end. That's not a okay. video right now. But um, just I, I was editing an episode of my podcast last night, and whenever I sat down to do it in the first place, like this is not something I've done a lot, so I'm kind of learning a little bit as I go. I I know a little bit about audio editing and mixing because I've done demo tapes for bands that I've been in, so I'm not totally in the dark here. But it was still a little frustrating at first because there are just certain things that, like, you have to mess up at first and then learn from it and then do it right the next time. And it was a little frustrating until I got into the groove of it, and then it was just kind of that therapeutic, repetitive, this is actually kind of soothing type thing. And whenever it was time for me to go to bed, I was, like, halfway through editing the podcast, and I was like, this is actually kind of fun. I kind of don't want to stop doing this right now. And I finished it, and then I went to bed. And I didn't expect that to happen. I expected editing the podcast to be the boring, tedious part of the process, where it would be a necessary evil, and I would do it, but the whole time I wouldn't be able to wait until it was over. And that wasn't the case, and I was really surprised by that. Yeah, no, I enjoy the editing process, even as tedious as it is, because... A, I can tailor it to be what I want it to be, so all the stupid ums and ahs and coughs and sneezes can get out, and it it just becomes like a much more enjoyable listen. And it's also just fun to reflect on like the content that isn't already out yet. It's just, it's, I don't know. It depends on your personality. Also, if you're a narcissist, you'll love it. (laughs) (laughs) Love hearing the sound of your own voice. (laughs) But I've had that editing videos. I would edit a 10 minute video, and at every scene, I have to do something. So, after like four hours, I'm not even halfway done. I'm just pulling my hair. I'm just going like, oh, I can't be doing this anymore. But then when I go back and watch the stuff I have done, like the stuff that's finished, it's like, oh, wow, this is actually great. Like I was able to do that. So it's it's nice to actually just step back and catch yourself, like get your, catch a breather every mm-hmm. now and then and look back at what you've done so that way you're not just grinding away and you're not uh, Tim Robbins and Shawshank just whittling away at the wall. It's like, what am I doing? It's like, oh yeah, I'm escaping. Like, mm. you can see the goal, end goal. Yeah, I like reflecting on the fact that we're in like the 40s of episodes. It's like, holy shit, we are actually accomplishing something. Oh, jeez, yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> it's getting done. He sounded so like angry about that. He was like, oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> we Fucking should do podcast. Like, God damn, 40 episodes. We should only do one episode a month, guys, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes back to the old, like, I guess, creative, not theory, but I guess, I like the principle that you can't get good at something until you've done it for 10,000 hours. So if you look at the podcast, it's kind of like, we won't really be good at podcasting until we've done 10,000 episodes instead of oh, roughly an hour each. Good lord. Yeah. That's just terrifying. <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I want this podcast to last a while, but even that's just, like, scary. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say we do, like, one episode, 
a week for four, four a month, so 48 for a year, divide oh, 10,000. Are we doing by, math today? I'm trying. <laughs> it's hard. I have been drinking. I know. I'm not going to help you, so <laughs> I, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, it's something around 10,000 divided by 48. You guys all have calculators at home. You do the work. Yeah. You're the interns now. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys, actually. Oh, shoot. Um, I'm curious how you've been going about getting guests for your podcast. I know how you ran into me because we just happened to both be watching the attack at the same time. Yeah. But, I mean, do you just, like, stumble into all of your guests or are you doing something to make a concerted effort to find them? No, it's funny because you're not the only podcast who has asked me that. And honestly, to be 100% honest, all I ever do is just email the people that I'm interested in in like interviewing and then it's either a yes a no or a maybe and then in the case of john sanmez <laughs> i basically i will well obviously but it's like typically i do get a handful of no's so it's not like i'm just like everyone's saying yes I, and sometimes you'll get a maybe and then like the scheduling just never works out like people will be like oh well hit me up in a couple months or something and if it's that vague it's like sometimes that kind of stuff falls off the map but for the most part like uh, the main guest that we had, John Somnes, I actually was him, his employee for a while, just interning for him. And the way I got in contact with him was just listening to his podcast, the Get Up and Code podcast and Entre Programmers, and commenting on their stuff. And at one point, that he even was saying how, oh, he wanted to hire a virtual assistant from the Philippines. And I was thinking to myself, I could do that in my free time, no problem. So that's how I got in contact with him. And... It's just, it's all a matter of doing exactly what you were explaining earlier, just like emailing a CEO, like on a fucking whim. That's, that is the best advice I could give to anybody as well. So that's why that resonated with me. I'm so glad like to hear that what you're doing is exactly what I've started doing, knowing absolutely nothing about what <laughs> I should be doing. Oh, that's where I am too. It's, it's funny too, because you said earlier how it's just, I don't know. I feel like I've broken out of my shell. I was never this person. I would probably, like, uh, two, three years ago today, I wouldn't be comfortable talking on a microphone. I'd be like, ew, I hate the sound of my voice, and, like, weird shit like that. It's like, once you get over those, like... Well, I know. I I still (laughs) hate the sound of my voice. I'm not gonna lie. But it's just, like, once you get past those minor nuances and just, like, realize... You're, we're all just human beings. As long as we can just relate with each other and just have a discussion and people want to listen to that, what the fuck's the problem? So, Mm -hmm. and... So I don't know. I it's a it's a matter of getting over your fears and realizing that there is a a shot in the dark that these people will want to talk to you. Like I I remember one of the ones that didn't work out that I want to hopefully get to work out in the future was I tweeted Adam Sessler being like, "Oh, would you want to be interviewed on our podcast?" blah blah blah. And I didn't get a response, but he followed or he yeah, ended up following us on our Twitter. So mm-hmm. that was that was really exciting in and of itself. So there's like minor things like that. So I it like to me that says he recognizes us, but he's like also probably way too busy yeah, that to just dude is say yes. Super busy all the exactly. time. Exactly. I wouldn't I wouldn't even take it per- if he like if he can't do it, it's probably because he's super busy. Like that's what I expected. It was almost like a like I knew I didn't honestly expect anything. So just the follow was just like all right. So <laughs> I just imagine you're sending out like mass emails to people, like a kid in like elementary school, and it's like, do you want to be on the podcast? Circle one, yes, no, maybe. <laughs> but it's not like that. It's like I do try to focus it down on either game developers, graphic. Uh, novelists, um, just like nerdy stuff that we cover. So, um, one though that I, that was kind of going to be out of our realm that I did email was, uh, Jessica Young <laughs> from, uh, she just recently within a year or so got kicked out of Girls Generation and I wanted to talk to her about that. So I emailed, uh, her company and like one of her higher ups in the company actually responded to me and just was like, Oh, she's too busy. And I was like, I just can't even believe you responded. That's amazing. So that would have been great if that would have panned out, but it's completely unrealistic. It would have been so great because A, we don't speak. Korean? No, listen, she's American though. That's one thing I happen to know about her. So she does speak fluent English. So it would have worked out great. And I would have just wanted to know about her exit from the group because it was a big drama, but only if you're into the K-pop world, which I'm not, but my girlfriend is. So I sort of (laughs) am. You sort of have to be. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I I will be the first person to admit that I shamelessly name drop IGN when I try to get people on my podcast. 
Like, no, I would. I mean, why not? And use what you it's got. a reputable source, man. Mm-hmm. Like if if you started out with, "Hi, my name's Kier. I write stuff for Crack.com and IGN.com." All of a sudden, they pay attention because definitely. If if you're on the internet for any amount of time, you probably know what one of those two sites are. And I mean, oh, absolutely! Like it, it almost makes me feel bad to do that, but at the same time, I know that it's getting me guests that I wouldn't have otherwise. So, like, I I just got um, PDP Jake to agree to do an episode here at the end of this month. Oh, awesome, man! Congrats! That's going to be a good one. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to him because I don't. I know a lot about the software end of things, but I'm not super in the know about what goes on with like hardware design and stuff like that so that's going to be a really cool interview i think yeah yeah definitely <laughs> i always love whenever we talk about uh the software encoding aspect of stuff because and i'm sure a lot of our fans like it too because that's when i just get day quiet for like 20 minutes <laughs> I, you, you just won't hear a sound out of me because i got nothing to contribute there <laughs> but no that's the same for matt and anime so <laughs> that's true <laughs> oh man we gotta get like I think that should be a goal for the podcast to get him to watch at least one full series of something. Yeah, and we'll get you to do a Hello World app in like a fucking I don't know Visual Basic. I don't <laughs> know what any of those words mean. Oh man! Hell, if you get me to go outside in the sun, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> Level encoding. Oh man, it's not it's not as hard of a th- well. I guess since I do it for a living, it's like second nature now, but. It is kind of um, daunting when you first take it like as an undertaking. People look at it and they're like, how do you even do that? I'm like, well, once you've learned language, it's just... Uh, all languages are essentially the same, well, just different it's, syntax. It's just that. It is like learning how to speak a language. So like, It truly is, yeah. If, and if also understanding. If you don't understand it, like it, it really does look like gibberish. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I actually... I actually only remember how to code in Java, which is good because everybody uses that nowadays. But like That's what I'm coding in, so yep. I, I good took one. so many classes in C and I just don't remember any of that. Honestly, I feel like I understand why C is so big, but I find Java to just be way more practical. I don't know why. I, I remember early in my um education i was diehard like oh c plus plus is way better than java but like as i as i learned about the different programming languages that were available i just feel like java just is essentially the one to go with well i don't know what recent java compilers are like because i haven't done it in a while but i do know that java was at the time less user friendly when i was learning it because like C++ would tell you, this is the kind of error that you have, and it's somewhere within these lines. Java would just not work and be like, you got an error somewhere. So good <laughs> yeah, luck. that's that's my problem at work sometimes. But no, it's gotten a lot better. It all yeah, it does depend on I guess your integrated development environment and like how you debug and everything as well. But uh, yeah, I feel like I'm definitely to this day often. Like checking my logs on production, being like, "What the fuck is the problem?" Because it's not telling me where this. It's just like, "Yeah, you have a problem. Figure it out." And I'm like, "Oh fuck!" Like, do you realize how many thousands of lines and like hundreds of files there are? Like, I'm not just gonna figure that out. Right. It's like, please just point me to the problem. But enough programming talk. Oh, thank <laughs> God. It's probably, it's probably <laughs> Poor Brad. Listeners to sit here and listen to us talk about compilers and coding. Uh, well, some some people like that, but yeah, I can't imagine them. They all do, so we'll save the rest. <laughs> I'm curious though, with IGN, since you're a freelancer, you're not one of the core staff members. Did you have any particular feelings with Greg Miller and a bunch of them leaving to start uh, kind of funny? Because I've heard him talk in a few different interviews saying how he kind of butted heads with the higher ups of IGN and was just like, "Hey, you know what? Screw it." Just Gonna do my own thing. I love Greg Miller so much. That dude's like an idol to me. Um, he left prior to me getting on board. So I haven't actually worked with him personally, but I know a lot about him and I've read a lot of the stuff that he's written. And he's just, I, I cannot stress what a fan of that guy I am. So you're aiming to take his spot at IGN. <laughs> nice. Um, I think that's a reasonable ambition. To have. <laughs> Am I? 
Yeah, man. That's what. That's you, you heard the best it here advice. first. I am going to be the next. <laughs> nice. Um, that's um, we're interviewing him here first. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I uh, I don't know what my aspirations are at IGN career wise. I mean, if they offered me a job, I would obviously take it because all I have right now is freelancing stuff. Um, I mean, it pays the bills, but like, I would like to have something more solid. Um. As for whether or not IGN is the place where I want to be, I, I honestly don't know. I haven't thought about it all that much. I just know the kind of job that I want to be doing, and the first place that offers it to me, I'm going to take it. Definitely. That's a good um, attitude. Yeah. I'm curious, though, if is your writing strictly, like, I guess, reviews and like statistics and like numbered wise or do you do like creative writing to keep yourself fresh and you know to keep the writing muscles loose you, wow you actually just reminded me of something that i totally forgot throughout the course of this interview but i wanted to make a point to tell you and i told myself i'm gonna say this before we even start <laughs> talking um but the cool thing about writing for ign is that um a lot of these video game websites that do news and reviews and stuff like that, they have a limitless supply of people that want to review games and do gaming news and get a free video game so that they can play it and write a half-assed review about it. But hey, they get to have fun, right? Um, my point is there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that want to write those articles. And... Where every gaming site in the world is hard up is looking for people that write featured articles, which are like observational articles based on looking at the games and making observations, if that's not redundant enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the, the best – I don't know how much I can legally tell you about the articles that I've written because none of them have run yet. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, oh, okay. Let me let me backtrack and tell you like the, the observational featured article that I wrote for Cracked that I was telling Doug about whenever you dropped out. Um, it was basically an observational article about the Star Trek universe and things that you might not notice at first glance, but when you really think about them, it would be horrifying to live in the Star Trek universe because of these things. And the example that I gave Doug was how unreliable the matter transporter is, and it's still the only reliable way to get on and off the ship. But they have incidents so frequently that you probably wouldn't want it to be the main way to get on and off of the ship. But anyways, um, so a lot of these gaming sites are really hard up for people that are able to write featured articles because it's hard to come up with observations like that. And I have the advantage of having written for Cracked for five years. Featured articles are the only thing that I've written for the last five years. Oh, wow. That's really good. So IGN's like, we need people who can consistently contribute featured articles. And I'm like, I don't know why that's so hard. I've been doing it for five years. So it, it just like, it really fell into place and it perfectly lined up. It's just like, for some reason, the thing that I fell into by accident and started to learn how to write is the one thing that every video game news website needs. I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, there yeah. you go. I think you're doing all the right things, man. Yeah. Does IGN need people to write stories from the perspective of that goat you dragon shot off the mountain in uh, Skyrim? <laughs> that's all I write about. <laughs> Jeez. I don't think they do. <laughs> I, I Someone needs it. I keep doing those. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it. Well, guys, I think I have to wrap this one up uh, relatively soon because I have some editing to do. I have to get an episode out tomorrow, actually. But um, is there anything you want to add before we go, Kier? Is there anything that I want to add? And also, you're question. always welcome to you're also welcome to join us again on future episodes because it's been fun. Oh, I, I would love to do that because I want to play your silly uh, conversation game sometime and crush Alex oh. at it. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I would love to have you go against Alex and see how that goes. Oh, I would, <laughs> I would destroy him. He's a, he's a <laughs> tiny wayfish fairy boy. Like, <laughs> Oh, this is getting I, this all amped up. The gauntlet is thrown. 
This is wonderful. Well, All right. Hears this now. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna like tweet in this episode. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. I'm actually having him. Uh, he's recording an episode of my podcast on Saturday. So. Oh, fantastic, dude! I can't wait to tune in. Oh, speaking What's of yeah, podcast, I'll, I'll, be sure, I'll be sure to tell him that I talked to you guys on your podcast, and you only have horrible things to say about him. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Oh, he'll know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what is your podcast, though? Promote it. Oh, yeah. I guess I could do that. Um, there's actually a short story that goes along with the inception of it. So I told you about how I was writing these uh, personal experience articles for Fract, And the main frustration that I was having with those was that out of all of these interviews that I did, and it was a lot, only about 20% of them wound up actually turning into articles. And that was just because it's hard to gauge what the editing staff at Cracked is going to like and what they're not going to like. And if they just, if, if they wind up not liking something or the information's not there to carry the article the way that they want it to go, then they'll just pass on it. So, and then out of those 20% that do turn into articles, you have maybe an hour, a two hour conversation with this person. You record it so that you can go back later and like, write down notes about the interesting bits so that you don't forget them. And out of that hour or two, like maybe only 5% of the information winds up in the finished article. And that's not anybody's fault. It's just a flaw in the format that you're using because you can only cram so much information into a 2,000, 3,000 word article. So you just kind of have to cherry pick the most interesting bits of the conversation. And this was frustrating to me for a really long time, and then the idea just popped into my head, wait a second, a podcast would be the perfect format for this content. So I decided to start a podcast where I would interview people that have really cool, crazy life experiences that the average person doesn't necessarily get to have. And this way, they would be able to tell their story in its full form. You would get the entire story instead of just here I talk to this person and here are the most here are the most interesting things that they have to say and that's a good way to do it it's just for someone who wants to understand a little more in depth it doesn't quite scratch that itch and it didn't for me either um I guess if I'm going to plug it the podcast is called life in overdrive And yeah, it's basically what I said. It's about interviewing people that have crazy life experiences so that people who don't necessarily get to have them can understand what it's like. Man, that sounds fucking phenomenal. And what's the rating of this podcast? Because you should have me on it. (laughs) (laughs) How phenomenal does your life have to be? No, I mean, like... How, yeah, well, it depends. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to necessarily well, you, you tell my are, stories. You guys are obviously both welcome to come on my podcast sometime if you want to oh. do an episode together. All right, well, I'll dish up some kind of crazy shit so, so people can... <laughs> no, we'll I go have... force ourselves into a public scandal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, so... Yeah, just if you don't have any stories, go create them right now. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I have plenty, I have plenty, but, oh, God, many near death... Uh, that that might be one way to go, but all right. Yeah, the uh, I, I guess to to summarize some to yeah, wow, I'm tripping over my words right now. <laughs> to uh, give people an idea of the kind of guests that I have on the podcast, the the ones that I've recorded so far have been with a couple of the different friends that I know that work at Cracked, just to like kind of get an insider look at what's going on there and what it's like to be a freelancer, and then. I also interviewed a guy by the name of uh, George Karunas. I don't know if you know who he is. He is probably the only person in the world who has the job title of adventurer. And he, wow. he goes all over the world to these crazy locations, volcanoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, Antarctica. He He's ridden a raft out onto an acid lake with a pH of under 1%. Like what? he does the okay. craziest shit and he records it and has a show on national geographic called angry planet where he like shows all this crazy shit to people. So they don't have to go out and kill themselves doing it. Um, that sounds really impressive. I want to hear that episode. Oh, it was such, it was one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had with another human being. And then those are the episodes that are recorded thus far. And then I have one scheduled with Alex do you, do you pronounce his last name Korea? I think it's Korea. Korea, like the country. It's Korea, okay. yes. 
I, I initially on our episode, I think I said Korea, but that, my, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I have an Two interview things. coming up with Alex Korea and then one with PDP Jake. And then after that, it's like too far out to say anything for certain, but I'm like talking to people at this point and you guys are apparently going to do it. So <laughs> cool. I'll hold you yeah. Well, I'm definitely game. I'll say two things. A, an asset lake is what you call the crowd at a Grateful Dead show. <laughs> That's very true, yes. And B, for everyone who's worked at Crack, do you guys just call each other Crackheads? Like, that's <laughs> that's got to be your nickname, right? It's, it's really funny because whenever I tell someone in person that I write for Cracked, they mishear me all the time and they assume that I write to earn money so that I can afford my Crack <laughs> I write for heroin. I need it. Oh, man. That that's something that's something that seriously happens. People have misunderstood me in that way on more than one occasion. I just <laughs> am picturing Kier on the side of a street with a cardboard sign. Will write for crack. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a feature article? I'll make you feel good. I'll make you sound smart. <laughs> oh man. But no, seriously, Kier, Kier, it's been a blast. So we really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm glad our fates like lined up meeting at the attack, having the same interests. Like, thank you for the attack for bringing us together. So anyone who's interested in that, check that out. Um, I guess we should plug real quick. Um, if you should always check out the almost better network, we got some other shows coming in the future. I don't want to give too much information away until we have more, uh, until we have more information, but look forward to that. And anything you want to add, Bren? Uh, the YouTube channel. I'm still pumping out videos. Going to try and, record a lot of playthroughs this weekend so i'm actually gonna try to do some myself so that way you'll have some mud of a backlog to keep you going for a while (laughs) have you ever wanted to watch someone drunkenly play through banner saga then tune in soon (laughs) (laughs) only every day of my life (laughs) really enthusiastic um if i just plug my twitter really quick it's at not another kier and nobody knows how to spell my name so it's (laughs) k-i-e-r Not another Kier. Awesome. And ours is ABT Silence. So yeah, tweet at us, people. And I guess we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. See ya. Bye.